great topic, isn't it? It's the kind of topic that we don't really want to talk about. But actually, we're going to talk about it today. So just look at somebody and say, be prepared to get a little bit uncomfortable. You know what? Uh, uncomfortable is good. It's good because it means that we have to pay attention. When you get uncomfortable, you have to do something about it, don't you? If you're sitting somewhere or if you've got a pain, if you're uncomfortable, you have to do something about it. And we are going to get uncomfortable this morning because God wants us to do some things about some of our things in our lives. This is the month of evangelism in the church. We don't only evangelise once a year. We evangelise all year round. But this year, uh, we felt that we wanted to focus on, uh, on evangelism for, this, for the month. So this particular month of June, we're focusing on the month of evangelism. We haven't done it brilliantly. We'll get better next year. But anyway, this is where we are. So I was asked to come and talk about evangelism. And so as I was preparing, I'd, I had what I prepared, and then God said to me, I want you to talk about sin. And I said, but I've already got my notes together, it's on ready to go, Lord, you know, this is it. And God said, I want you to talk about sin. And I'm saying, but it doesn't fit. Don't you know what the topic is, Lord? Because we kind of talk like that. Well, he doesn't, well, yeah. Anyway, I talk like that. And so I'm saying, don't you know what the topic is? I've got my topic, it was set last year. The topic is evangelism. Sin doesn't fit with what the topic is. This is the topic. Can you speak again in line with what the topic is? <laughs> and of course, God says, no, this is, what the, this is what we need to talk about. So I'm going to be obedient. Uh, if we can have the slides up, please. And I'm going to be obedient and talk up what you said. So the, the, the title of the topic is, what are you living to earn? And this, uh, we're going to do it in two parts. The first part is about sin. The second part is going to be about evangelism, more focused on evangelism. And as we go through, you're going to see how these two things are very, very much connected and intertwined. So, what are you living to earn, is my question. Actually, every day that you live, you are living to earn something. Whether you realise it or not, you're living to earn something. And we're going to think about that. And we're going to base this, this on Romans 8. So if I can have my human being, please. Where is he? Thank you. So this wonderful man of God represents, he's going to come and stand over here. Uh, thank you. Didn't I give it to you already? Okay, don't worry then. So this is a wonderful holy man of God. And uh, he, we don't need you yet, Sharon, sorry. sorry. We need that though, thank you. Thank you, you're beautiful, Sharon. Thank you for my assistant. So, this is a gorgeous, holy man of God, um, and, uh, and uh, he is a, a man of God who's living his life for God, he's doing what he's got to do, living as he, he should be living. And we look at this passage in the Bible, in Romans 6, so let's have a look and see what it says in Romans 6. So if you've got a Bible or if they get it up on the screen, uh, we're going to go through the whole of Romans 6. It's actually a long passage, 
So if you could get that, that'd be great. But if you've got on your phone or whatever, and because I'm getting old, I'm putting on glasses. Okay, so let's look at what Romans 6 says. It says, what shall we say then? And hopefully my people are ready, because we've started. Sorry, I have to keep my glasses. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that, so that grace may increase? By no reason, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. bit louder, please. Pornography and adultery. Sexual immorality and sexual impurity. <laughs> this is our church not buying the most expensive kitchen. <laughs> Just buying the cheap stuff. Astrology and backbiting. Bitterness, mysticism, murder. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Rebellion, anger, greed, lying. If we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Complaining, moaning, drugs. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Idol worship, gluttony, idleness. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey the evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you do not, you are not under the law, but under grace. Stealing, gambling, deception. What then shall sin, what shall we say, because we are no longer under law, but under grace? By no means, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as a slave, you are slaves to the one that you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. 
But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you have been entrusted. If you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Forsaking God. I put this in terms of, in human terms, because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery, to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit do you reap at this time that thing, for the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap is holiness and the result is eternal life. This man is bound in sin, but it goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're free, you can get free. Okay, so there's a little illustration there of what sin does to us. I hope that what you saw and heard were some of the things that are sin in our life. Thank you. You might have heard all of the words and you might be saying to yourself, phew, that's not one of mine. But actually, sin is sin. You might have heard murder and thought, yeah, 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 I've never killed anybody. But actually, the Bible is very, very clear about the degree and the judgment for sin and the degree, the degree and the judgment for lying. What is a white lie? Could someone explain that to me? Is it a lie? Is it a lie? It is a lie. So that means then there's no such thing as a white lie. So why do we say white lie? What's the idea behind that? Justification. Justification? It doesn't matter. The idea is that I'm justified in telling this lie. If I'm going to save someone's life, or if it means I don't get docked my pay at work, or if I can get out of doing such and such, it's okay. I'm not harming anybody, so it's kind of a white lie. The Bible is very, very clear that the judgment for that is the same as the judgment for murder. Yeah. It's no different. So actually, sin is sin. And God says to us in what we've read that he wants us to deal with it. What we saw there was a man of God. I didn't say when he got up, and now we have a guy who's not a believer, and uh, that's not what we had. We had a man of God. But what we're going to read about in the passage that we read is how the things that he allowed in his life actually cause bondage. Last week we heard uh, Andrea say that freedom actually gives us bondage. I got saved at 12 years old, and for me, when I became a Christian, there was no in-between. It was very black and white for me, and which, yeah, for my friends wasn't so great. But... It was very, very black and white for me. There was no grey area. I got saved at 12 and that was it. I was going for Jesus 
So that meant that there were lots of things in my youth that I did not do. There were lots of things in my adult life that I did not do. I didn't do them. I have never been drunk. Never. Because I got saved at 12 and that was it for me. But what was interesting was is that the more I spent time with non-Christians, because of course, everyone's a teenager. I remember when we, we was at school and my group of friends decided that they were going to join the cadets. And, and we had youth group on a Friday night. And I remember saying to God, it's not fair, God, because actually what's going to happen is that they were, were going to join, the, we were all going to join the cadets and then I found out that you have to go on a Friday and then they go away for weekends, which meant that I would also miss some Sundays. Not every Sunday, but some Sundays. And I remember sitting on my wall outside my house and crying to God and saying, it's not fair because I'm already different to my friends. And now I'm going to be even more segregated from my friends. And I remember we'd go into school on a Monday and they would all be talking about what had happened at cadets and how great it was. And I was no longer a part of those conversations. But actually, what happened was over the years is that those same friends are the ones who are saying to me, my freedom has caused me bondage. Not in that language, of course. One of my friends had an abortion and every time we went to a party she got drunk and every time she got drunk she sat in the corner crying. Nobody else knew it except me. Her freedom had brought her bondage. Sin does not bring us freedom, it brings us bondage. My friends would say to me, hey, come on, you know, no sex before marriage, are you serious? And I don't know if I shared this with you before, but my friend came into school and she said to me, this is the night, we're going to do it tonight, because when it's your first time, especially when you're at secondary school, it's like big discussions. And so she said, this is it, this is the night, we're going to do it tonight. And I said, well, you're not. I said, why would you tell me? And she said, well, because we, we all tell you stuff, because we can trust you. And, and I said, but you know that I'm going to pray. You can't do it. It's against God's word, so it's not going to happen. And she was laughing and saying, oh, you're such an idiot, and all of that. She came into school the next day. She was mad. I'm never telling you anything ever again. You ruined it. We were there, and all I was thinking about was God and God's judgment, and what would God say? She said it was terrible, and I, was, I didn't know what to say to him. It was, I'm never telling you anything ever again. And I said, yes, Jesus. And I was uh, 14 years old. Do you know that sin does not bring freedom? And friends would say to me, oh, you've got to give in. You've got to give in to this. You've got to try this. I wasn't perfect. By lots. You've got to try. But what I could see was that that wasn't bringing you freedom. That sex was not bringing you freedom. What you were doing, it was smoking, wasn't bringing you freedom. All it did was bring you bondage. It's not God's way for us. We have died to sin. And this is really interesting how, how they describe it in, in Romans. Because what he says in Romans is, is that you have died. I don't know if you have tried to revive anything that was dead. Has anyone tried? I had a bird fly into my w window once when I was a child and uh, it, 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 uh, it did die. And I was there. Come on! <laughs> I wasn't blowing at it. But I was willing it to come back to life, and it didn't come back to life. And I even I made a little bed, and I thought, if I comfort and love it, 
it will come back to life, maybe it's just sleeping. I, if you have tried to revive something that's dead, it's very, very difficult. It's, it's impossible. Either God's doing it miraculously, or they're using machinery from a hospital or whatever. To revive something that is dead is virtually impossible. So this is really interesting because actually what God says is, is that you died to sin. Sin died. That's incredible. Because God doesn't say, listen, when you get saved, I put sin to sleep. And you know, you can just go and wake it up. Actually, to raise that sin, you have to work really hard. So just thinking about the things in your life that you struggle with, you have to work really hard to keep those things alive. Because what God has said is, is that those things are dead. They died with Christ. And therefore, for us to resurrect them takes a lot of work. Why are we resurrecting those things which Christ has died for? He's died for them. We, don't, we shouldn't be resurrecting them. Let them stay dead. I have a Christian friend, he's a, he was our pastor, and he wouldn't go into pubs because before he got saved, he, uh, he used to drink too much. And he said, drinking isn't wrong. But he said, I know that if I open that door, I know where it's going. He knew not to resurrect it. It's dead, leave it there. So we have to make decisions as Christians. Lord, I, my body's temple, the Holy Spirit, you died for me. What am I going to do that was going to breathe life? When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sins. It was your sin that held in there. You can be looking around and saying, well, you know, he died for him and him and him. Actually, it was your sin. He wasn't held there by anything else. So I don't know if you can imagine that. If you have had rotting fruit in your fruit bowl, it's horrible, it looks horrible. So just imagine Jesus on the cross, not nails holding him there, but imagine your sin. Everything that you've done, there, rotting, and him hold, that is what is holding him in that position, is the sin that you commit. Holding him right there, because his love is so great for you. Your sin held in there. But, the, but God says that we are free from sin. Number three, sin cannot master us because Jesus cannot die again. And that's what he says in verse 11. Jesus has already died. So when we go into Jesus and we're saying, oh Lord, help me with this thing, it's really, really, you know, I need to conquer it, and, and da, 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 and Jesus is saying, we've been here before. I can't die again for that. You just need to conquer it. You need to stop doing it. I can't, I can't die again, I've done it. So that thing is already dead. All you need to do is put it to death. Simple. It's hard to believe it's that simple, especially when we feel that those things really have a hold on us. As we saw, sin actually binds us. It doesn't set us free. And the more we allow sin into our lives, the more it has control. We should not entertain sin because Christ died for it. Sometimes we are under an illusion that we have sin under control. Has anybody done that? That you would say, three of us, thank you. The three of us, all right, every people, great. We think that we have sin under control. We go into the fridge. Okay, so this is one of my things. 
I go to the co-op, they've got crisps on special. Why do they do that? Pack of six for a pound. Oh man, it's a pound. And I've got it under control, I'll have one a month, one packet a month. I put them in the cupboard, I have a packet, and then I think, you know there's only five crisps in the packet, you know. <laughs> so I go back and have another packet, and then, and then I'm eventually opening the bag of six and realising there's one left, and this is only still day one. <laughs> I know Angela don't buy the crisps, because you don't have it under control. It's an illusion. The other illusion is, is that we think that that sin will not have an impact on us. I've got it under control. I've got porn under control. I only look at it when everyone's asleep. I've got it under control between 12 and 1, and I can stop at 1. I'll only sleep with my partner. I don't sleep around. I've got it under control. I call the shots. I say when we can sleep together and when we can't. It's under control, Lord. We believe we've got it under control. There's two things there. One, you don't have sin under control. The Bible says what we've just read is that whatever is in your life, that is what you choose to obey. So if you choose to obey something, you don't have it under control. The other thing is, is that it's doing damage. If I eat six bags of crisps, it does damage. Doesn't matter how much I swim, it does damage. So it's not under control. So we have to be aware of, actually, Lord, this is what your word says. I don't have these things under control. I need to sort them out. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be alone with that person. I'm not going to be in that situation. I'm not at work going to sit in the staff room where they're all talking nasty and bad. I'm not going to go down to that place because I know what's going to happen when I get there. We have to choose because actually we don't have it under control. Number four. In Genesis uh, chapter, have we got Genesis? Yeah. It says there, this is what God says to uh, Cain. He said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must master it. Do you know what? If you're not saved, don't worry about what's at your door because... Satan's not interested. Sin is crouching at your door if you're a Christian. Because actually, Satan wants you to obey and have sin as your ruler. So sin is always crouching at your door. Always. And all we have to do is invite him in. And God even said to Cain, Cain, listen, it's crouching at your door. He even gave him the opportunity by verbally saying it to him. And Cain still let sin in. He let anger and death into his life. Verse 10. Sin, uh, do not let sin master, do not let, do not let, do not let sin, do not allow sin to master. It says there, but what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And this is something that people always talk about, isn't it? They say, oh, but it, so what are you saying then? That God says that you can just keep on sinning and repent. What's the point of that? If I can just sin and then just say God, say to, ask God to say, sorry, I'm saying sorry, God, and then sin again and sin again and sin again. Forgive 77 times 7. Then that means I can just go and do it and all I have to do is come back to God and say, oh Lord, please forgive me. But what is interesting is he's saying master sin. We have grace in our lives that allows us to 
when we do sin, to come to God and say, God, this isn't right. I want this to stop. I want this out of my life. I do not want this to reign in my life. If we didn't have grace when we sin, that would be it. But it's God's grace that allows us to keep going on. Number four, don't be a slave. Last week, Andrea said that living in sin brings bondage and not life, which is quite right. Number five, slave to obedience. This is an interesting principle. What God says to us in verse 16 is that those who choose to obey God will demonstrate that they are slaves to Christ. Look at somebody and say, are you a slave to Christ? It, what it then goes on to say, so there's a clear principle here. When you become a slave, you then obey. When you, when you obey, you are then able to walk in righteousness. When you walk in righteousness, you become holy. We don't jump from one to the other. You don't jump from obeying to being holy. What it says is that I choose to walk right. And when we walk right, we become holy. So the more I make righteous choices, the more holy I become. So when we're saying to God, Lord, I want to be holy, Lord, uh, Lord, make us holy, before we even say that prayer, have we put down the other things? Have we walked in obedience and have we walked right? Because God says, yeah, I could make you holy, but actually I can't make you holy because these principles are in place. The principle is, is that you need to obey and you need to do the right thing and then you become holy. So God actually doesn't need to do anything because he's already set the principles in place. That's the way he works. So as soon as we choose to do the right thing, holiness comes. How exciting to be a people who are constantly choosing to do the right thing. Isn't that incredible? That you wake up in the morning and you say, every day, all day, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. You're doing it all the time. And the more that we do that, the more holy we are. Has anyone ever looked at you and said, you are so holy? <laughs> Sharon, Sharon's laughing, okay. <laughs> Imagine that. Someone just stopping you and saying, I don't know what it is, but man, you're holy. That's what we want to hunger for, to be a holy people. Number six. Our argument can be, oh, but Lord, I'm only human. That's what we say. I'm only human, Lord. Come on. They were unspecial. What do you want me to do? I had, there was the pound. It was a sign. I had a pound coin in my purse, and the crisps were a pound. Come on, I'm only human. Do you know every argument that we have, God has already answered it. There's nothing new under the sun. As you know, I work with the guys in prison, and they come up with all this stuff, and I'm saying, go and read Genesis. Yeah, yeah, that's been done before. Go and read it. Go and read it. What? It's in the Bible. Really? Really? There is nothing new under the sun. God has done it all. So that everything that we say, everything that we feel, we're in pain, and God says, yeah, I know. I, can, I know how you feel. I'm there. I'm with you. There is nothing new under the sun. So when we come to God and say, oh, Lord, I'm only human, he says, yes, you are human. But you have grace, but you can choose to be holy. Imagine God saying to us as humans, you can be holy. Wow, really? Me, a human, I can be holy? I am holy? That's what he says, so that's a truth. 
We gain eternal life, which is a gift, rather than working hard to receive death. So if you were to ask someone, remember my question at the beginning, the question was, what are you living to earn? Ask someone, what is it you're living to earn? Do you know what, what they're living to earn if they're not saved? Death. Yeah, great. That's what they're living for. If you're not saved, you're living for death. If you are saved, if you're a Christian, if you are walking in obedience before God and holiness, the Bible says there, the gift of God is eternal life. Just look at someone else and say, I'm going there, eternal life. That is what God has given to us. So my question to us is that we shouldn't struggle with the things of this world because actually God has set us free. And if he has set us free, then that means we're free from sin. We do not have to own sin. We do not have to obey sin. If you are obeying sin, then you are in a very, very dangerous position because God has said that that sin has kept you in bondage and God wants us to be free. That means if we know this truth, just raise your hand if you know this truth, if you know that this Romans 6 is true. Just a few of us, most of us, some of us, right. So this is a truth that you have. That means that every non-Christian you know is living every single day for death. That is what they're living for. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about those people that are dying? Which leads us on to our evangelism. See, that's quite good, wasn't it? I thought that was quite impressive. I'm gonna, we're going to pray into two things. One, I felt us, that we needed to pray into the sin in our church. It's really interesting because as the Lord has been saying that to me, the prayer times, uh, lots of different things have really reinforced that principle. And I said to God, I was talking with some friends yesterday uh, and they were talking about their churches and one of my friends was saying about her church how well, the things that they allow to go on, blah, blah, blah. And I was saying, oh, you won't be able to do that in our church. And they, she was like, really? And I said, oh, no, no, no. And it's from the pulpit, uh, no, no, no. It said very, very clearly, this is, this is what the word of God says. There's no compromise. And then I was thinking about it this morning and I thought, She's got a really, really big church, and I thought, actually, Lord, the more we choose to be holy, of course, the, the, my, the idea is, is that the more we, we, are, we love God and obey his word, you think the more the bigger church would be, because actually that's what people want. They want to be holy, they want God. But I was thinking, actually, maybe our church will get smaller. It won't, because we believe for 1,093. But I was thinking about the fact that actually choosing holiness makes us feel uncomfortable. Addressing sin in our lives makes us feel uncomfortable. Looking at someone and saying, I need to say sorry to you because I was out of order, it's not always that easy. But actually, God, that's what we want. We want to be a church that is known because we're holy, because we don't compromise, because we don't stand for nonsense. And then when we mess up, Everybody else is going, you know what? We love you. Praise God for God's grace. Let's repent. Let's stand on God's word and let's go forward in holiness. God doesn't write us off. 
this, our church doesn't write us up, our relationship, God is with us and he desires us to move forward and he desires us to be holy. So you are an evangelist. And my question to you is, what are you doing about it? Because those who are not saved are dying. No, they're not dying, they're dead. And God says to us to snatch people. What is your legacy? Uh, often when people die, I take notice. Uh, at Christmas time, I always look and see who's died. A bit weird, but, uh, uh, but I do. Anyway, what is interesting is, is that Billy Graham died on uh, the... When did he die? Let me get the exact date. He died in February 21st. So Billy Graham died on February the 21st. Who died in March? Stephen Hawkins. So a month later, exactly, a month later, Stephen Hawkins died. These were two very great men. And I thought that was really interesting. Billy Graham dies, and then a month later, Stephen Hawkins dies. Let me ask you, what is your legacy? What is it that you leave behind? This is what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham said, uh, this is not my home, um, I'm just passing through, I'm travelling on my way to heaven. That's what he said when he was alive. Billy Graham, um, he held a crusade um, in six different continents. In 1947 was his first crusade and it was, an ind- it was in an auditorium. His first crusade had 6,000 people and he was 28 years old. Isn't that incredible? This is what Stephen Hawkins said. Stephen Hawkins said, Stephen Hawkins said in an interview with The Guardian, he said this, the brain is a, is a computer which will stop working when its components fail, and the concept of an afterlife is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Well, he knows now, doesn't he? <laughs> I go to funerals and hear people talk about, oh, we, I hope they get to heaven. Listen, that's not going to be said at my funeral. What are you talking about? I hope they've got to heaven. No, 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 I'm there. My friend who died at her funeral, she, she before, her, not at her funeral, she was dead, before her funeral, <laughs> before her funeral, she asked her husband to write something down because she couldn't, she couldn't, she was so weak she couldn't write. And he read it out. And he said, listen guys, if you're not saved, you're going to hell, get saved. That's, that's, what, that's what she had read out at her funeral. And we were kind of sitting there going, no. People are mourning and, you know, you're telling them get saved at her funeral. Listen, what is your legacy? If you were not here anymore, what's your legacy? Look at the legacy of Billy Graham. What a legacy that man has left. All the rubbish that has come out since he died, whatever, thousands of people have got saved through that man. I went to listen to Billy Graham and I thought, this guy is so boring. And his message was, Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, okay, if you want to know Jesus, come forward. Thousands of people got up, and I was like, really? How did that happen? That man was holy. 
That was because of his holiness. Because actually, if you're holy, it doesn't matter how you speak. It really doesn't. And that's why we need to sort out our sin. You see, Andrew can't be talking about his past to a lady at the bus stop if he's still doing that stuff. Because there's no holiness in those words. There's no power in those words. And that woman's life was touched because actually there was holiness there. So guys, we have to change our world. I want Andrea to come back and say, I keep hearing about CLF all over the place. You guys are out there. I want us to be a church that changes the world. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 says, so again, like my friend who died, Jesus is going to go, he's leaving. So he's not hugging them and saying, okay guys, you're going to be all right. He's not saying, look, I've put some things in place, so don't worry too much. This is what he says when he's leaving. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptise them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you, and surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. So what are we doing here? What are we doing here? We've been given very, very clear instructions. Go and make disciples. That isn't the evangelism team. That is the members of this church. We are called to make disciples. We're called to, to preach the gospel. That is what Jesus has commissioned every single one of us to do. I don't know how many people here just walked in off the street, but I suspect that most of us are here because someone spoke to us. Is that true? Somebody spoke to us, somebody prayed for us, and that's why most of us are here. We do have people who come, who walk off the street, and that is amazing. Praise God for that. They just check the website and they come, and we're blessed by that. But most people come because someone spoke to them. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.4, it says... For kings and all those in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and diligent in every way. This is good and is pleasing to, in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of him. God's vision is huge. Our vision should be huge. We've got a, we've got a vision at the moment for 1093. We want a bigger vision, don't we? Because actually God said, all people. God didn't say, okay, I've sent Jesus, so let's believe for 50% of the population. He says, all. So that means we've got to do something. To see all people saved, we need to invest something. We need to be right with God. I just want to share this before we pray. There's a man, there was a man in Australia, his name was uh, Jack Jenner, Frank Jenner, and he died in 1997. He died when he was 73. And this man went out every day for 40 years. He was a drunk, he was a sailor, um, he lived a, a wild life, and somebody spoke to him and he got saved. And from the day he got saved, he went back on his ship, he went to his chaplain and said, someone's just spoken to me, I don't want to go to hell, please help me. And the chaplain prayed for him, he got saved. And from that day he said, Lord, I will serve you. Got off the ship. And Frank Jenner in Australia, it's called Jeweled Street, every day he took tracts out, 10 tracts. And he said to people, 
10 people, we just did it every day. He went out and said, if you die today, where are you going? Are you going to hell? And that's all he said, every day. And the days that he was ill and couldn't go, he would double up the next day, so he would give out 20. He did that every day for 40 years. In Crystal Palace, there was a pastor in a church. Somebody got up and said, can I just give my testimony? And the pastor went, oh, well, you got, uh, not really, okay, you've got two minutes. He got up and he said, I was in Australia, I, w- I was in George Street and this guy came to, gave me this, this tract and I took it and I went and prayed and got saved. The pastor then was like, that's incredible. He actually went to Australia to a convention, went to a church, he met another lady who said to him, yeah, I was in this street and this George Street and this man gave, gave me this tract and I was like, who do you think you are telling me about hell? I got saved and gave my life to Christ. He went somewhere else and he was eating with a pastor and he was having this meal with this pastor and this pastor, he said to the pastor, so what's your story then? How did you get saved? The pastor told him, yeah, I was with some friends and we were going past Jewel Street and this crazy whitehead, crazy man gave us this tract. I gave my life to Christ. He went somewhere else and somebody said, yeah, I was already a deacon in the church and Jenna gave me this, this guy gave me this tract and said, you need you? And he said, no, no, I'm a Baptist minister. I, I'm a leader in a church. I'm already saved. And he said, no, no, you need to take this. He went back to his pastor and said to his pastor, this crazy man gave me this tract. How dare he? And the pastor said, actually, yeah, we're worried about you. You're not on. <laughs> gave his life to Christ and got saved. He then went to the Ivory Coast, did a convention 8,000 8, uh, pastors and leaders at this convention. He shared the story at the convention and said, this is incredible. I heard this story about this guy who was in, in Australia giving out tracts and da 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 After the convention, 15 pastors came up to him. They didn't know each other and said, yeah, that's my story. He came up to me and da 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 He went somewhere else. He tracked down these different people. He went back to Australia and, and found, tracked down where Frank Jenner lived. He was, he was near death. He said, let me tell you what has happened. He said, I've spoken to so many people who have got saved through your ministry of giving out tracts. Frank Jenner did not know one person got saved. He did that for 40 years and did not hear one story of someone getting saved. They believe that he spoke to, let me get it right. I'm running out of time, so I just want to make sure. Uh, he spoke to over, uh, over 147,000 people, gave out that many tracks. And they think that there were, they said there's at least over 1,000 people who got saved. They found missionaries, people who were missionaries and had got saved and become pastors of churches and gone out. So let me tell you, church, that when you're standing there going, I don't know what I can do, Lord. I I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do this. Look what that man did from choosing to be holy, from choosing to say, Lord, I I am called for the Great Commission and I want to spread your gospel. So I want to pray two sets of prayers. One, I want to pray for those who are struggling with sin in their life, who are saying, actually, Lord, this has been something that has, been, has had control of my life. The illusion that I've had is that I'm in control of it and I'm not obeying it, but actually I am obeying it. My body isn't, hasn't been a living sacrifice. So I want to pray for you. And then I also want to pray for those of us 
who actually are in reality about the fact that, Lord, I need to, to be out there. I need to speak your word. I need to intentionally say to people, Jesus loves you, God lives. However God wants us to do it. Frank Jenner didn't think he was a speaker and that was not his gift, but he had another gift. He could obey God and just go out every day and give out. Maybe that's all you're going to do. But God tells us as a church that we need to rise up and impact our nation. So we're going to pray for two sets of people. So we're all standing at the same time. So if, it's, if you want prayer because you just want to ask God, I, I, the first bit is, is you saying it before the Lord. So that, that you saying, actually you repenting personally before God, and claiming this Romans 6, that's this saying, Lord, you are my master. I will obey you. I will walk in righteousness and I am holy. So that's a prayer that you need to pray and then I'll pray. And at the same time, we'll also have people standing who want to acknowledge that they haven't been evangelizing for God, but they need to, give, asking God to give us power. I kind of am reluctant to ask God to give us more of something that he's already given us. I kind of feel, I don't feel okay about saying, Lord, give me the boldness to do it. Because what I sense is that God's already given it to us, it's just that we're choosing not to do it. The Israelites got to the Red Sea and they couldn't cross because the Red Sea was there. And God did not part the Red Sea till they got there. That's very important for us to understand. So God does things when we get there. It's no good us asking in advance. Let God, before I get to this person, let them know that I'm coming so that when I get there, they'll say, oh yeah, I was expecting you. You can tell me about Jesus, please. And then it'll make it easier for me. And I don't believe that God is working like that for us. I believe that God is saying to us as a church, get to the Red Sea and then watch me part it. I really believe that for us. So actually, I'm not going to pray for boldness because I believe that God's already done it. He's telling us to just get to the Red Sea and watch God part the sea. So those are two areas of prayer. So if you want prayer in, in one of those areas, please stand up. Um, so you can stand for either of them, and then I'm going to pray. So um, if you uh, are not a Christian and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm going to pray that prayer first. And then I, uh, I'm gonna, we're just going to pause for a minute because those of you who want to just bring before yourselves before God and repent, then you can repent and then we'll be praying about the evangelism. So first of all, if there are people here today who have what they've heard is that Jesus died on the cross for them, that he rose for their sins and that he desires that, that, they, follow, that he, they follow him, I'm going to pray for you first. So Lord, so if that's you, then just say this, these words after me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that you rose again from the dead. I hear and I acknowledge that I am a sinner who needs to be saved. Lord, I give my life to you and from this day forward I will serve you with my heart, soul, body, mind, everything will be a living sacrifice before you. In Jesus' name, Amen. And those of you who need to repent from any sin, just bring it before the God. And, and before God, just say it. If it's rebellion, if it's uh, sexual impurity, don't be afraid to say the words because God already knows. 
So please say the words. Don't let the words keep you in bondage. So say the words out loud before God. Lord, I just want to pray for us as people of God online and here in this place. Father, those of us, Lord, who have been struggling with sin in our lives, we've kept those things in the dark. Lord, we've been, we've been living in sin in particular areas. Father, whatever it is, Lord, we bring it to you right now. We stand on Romans 6 that we are more than conquerors, that sin does not have hold of us. We break off the root of every sin in the name of Jesus. We declare that the door is closed on that particular sin. As we have spoken it out before you, the door is closed in Jesus' name. That sin will not have authority over us. We do not obey sin. We do not obey sin because we are children of God and when we make wrong choices, we come to God in grace and we say, Lord, I will be righteous, I will obey and I will be holy. I am holy. And so, Lord, we speak over this church. We are a holy church. We are a holy people. And if that means, God, that people don't like it and have to go, then, Lord, we don't want that. But, Lord, we want to be your people. We want to be holy. We want to be accountable, Lord. So help us, Father, to rise up in faith and see you, God, as you see us. Help us to see you as you see us, a holy people, that we would live it out daily, Lord. Father, we pray for us in the area of evangelism. Father, we want, Lord, to speak to people who are dead. We thank you that because you died, we have the ability to speak life into death. So Lord, I pray that every single day, each one of us will speak life into situations that are seen dead. Over our families, our neighbours, our community. Lord, on Saturday, God, we want to speak life in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that it is a new day. We thank you that we have arrived at the Red Sea and we are going to watch you part it and we are going to march through with incredible victories. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Please have your seats. Thank you, Angela. That was such a powerful word. Uh, we're going to take our offering at this time. If I could have the ushers please uh, hand out the envelopes. So if you need an envelope, please indicate by raising your hands. Whilst that's going on, just a reminder that we uh, still have cakes being sold at the back going towards the Apostolic Mission Initiative and it's a pound each. So please, if you can, uh, do purchase one. Uh, it's a very good cause. Also, if you are in a position where you're looking for a job, please stand. We'd like to pray with you. 
or business that needs uh, you're praying for God to help with the business, please stand. Our dear Father, we just want to thank you for uh, your faithfulness. We thank you that you are the God who provides. You are Jehovah Jireh. We look to you at this time, Father. You open up your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Will you satisfy the desires of my brothers and my sisters who stand at this time? Father, I pray this week they will see a sign of your goodness, Lord. They will hear good news, Father. You will open doors for them. You will favor them, and you will establish the works of their hands for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could take, you could take the offering at this time. Um, I believe the children have got a presentation. Good afternoon, church. So, as we know, today's Father's Day, and some of the children have written nice letters to their fathers that they want to read out. So, um, just bear with us as they do so. Thank you for taking me to Premier Inn and my friend's house and buying me games and praying with me. You are the best. Thank you for my pocket money. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I love you. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Thank you, Daddy, for taking me to the fish and chip shop. Thank, thank you, Daddy, for taking me tennis and badminton. Thank you, Dad, for making me the most educated in the whole school. Thank you for your support. Thank you, Daddy, for loving me. I love you. Thank you, Daddy, for buying me ice cream and red Fanta. Thank you for taking me to Greenwich Park and letting me get a slushy. Thank you for loving me. I love you. You're the best father. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, Daddy, for taking me to fun places. Paying for the house, making me a good son, caring for me. Thank you, Daddy, for loving me. I love you. To all the fathers in the house, we just want to say thank you. Three, two. Thank you all. Okay, come on, show appreciation. Well done, guys. 
Uh, just a couple more announcements before we close. Uh, Kai, if you could come. And Tina, if you could get ready.